0: Well, so good to see you guys today. My name's Pete, one of the pastors here, and it feels good to have a sunburn. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I, like, tried to get one this week just because I could. I was out working in my yard this weekend, and I was like, oh, my gosh, it's so hot. It's got to be, like, 100, 105. It's, like, 72, but it just feels like we're melting, so... But so good to have you with us. We are uh, continuing on in our series through the book of Acts, kind of moving from Easter to the story of what happens in this community of Christ followers uh, after Jesus rises from the dead and ascends back to the Father, and what happens in those first 30 years after... uh, Jesus' ascension. That's the book of Acts. And so, if you have a Bible, go to the book of Acts chapter 1, and we'll actually look at the same uh, same passage we were in last week and continue to pull something out of it. So, um, we will, uh, yeah, let's just do the first 11 verses. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes All right, so we'll stop there for this morning. And I just kind of want to revisit our introduction from last week, real briefly. It was simply the idea that the good news of Christ is that we are invited into his life. So the invitation of the gospel isn't just to look to Jesus to get a bunch of stuff that we want, but the good news of the gospel is that we get Jesus himself, that we are united with Christ and exactly what Paul was just singing about, this incredible, gracious adoption that the Father now adopts us as his sons and daughters, which makes sense. If we are in Christ, his, one, his only begotten son, now we also are adopted into his family as well. And so as we start this conversation about what it means to live missionally, which is one of our core values here at Antioch, that we would be people who live missionally or live on mission, that idea of being united with Christ, being one with him, or being adopted by the Father is absolutely central to that. And the reason it's so central is because sometimes we think of Jesus as being far off, We think of him as being distant or removed from everyday life. And maybe every once in a while, on a special occasion, he'll break into our world to answer a prayer or to show up in our life in one way or another. But these first Christians, these first Jesus communities that we're told about in the book of Acts, that's not how they thought of Christ. That wasn't the nature of the relationship they experienced. They saw themselves as those who were in Christ. And Jesus was in them. And he was with them and he was walking with them. And the most central aspect of that union is what he talks about here. Jesus saying, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send to the same Spirit that empowered my life and mission is now going to inhabit and indwell your lives. And empower you for this mission as well. And so Christians saw themselves as those who are united with Christ. And also Jesus sees himself united with us. So if you think about in Acts chapter 8, when Saul has been persecuting Christians. And has this miraculous encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. Jesus would say to Saul, 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 why are you persecuting Christians? What does he say? Christians? We would think he would say, why are you persecuting Christians? But Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Because Christians are his body. You can't harm his body without harming him. Whatever you do to them, us... Is done unto him. That's how tightly Jesus sees it. So it's this beautiful two way thing. Jesus identifies with his people so extensively that we are in him and that he is in us. And this, for whatever reason, is how God has chosen to carry out his work in the world. Now, many of us, especially those that can be a little bit more skeptical or have a faith that is marked by some doubt, we've engaged hard questions of like, why doesn't God show up and break in and do more? Why doesn't he prevent more suffering or eliminate more poverty or heal more sick people? Like, why doesn't God break into our world more often than he does? Like, that's a legit question to ask. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says about this. It's interesting. It says, for he, God, seems to do nothing of himself which he can possibly delegate to his creatures. He commands us to do do slowly and blunderingly what he could do perfectly and in the twinkling of an eye. And Lewis isn't answering our question. He's just going, this seems to be the way God's chosen to work in the world. Of course, if he wanted to, He could break in in these kind of unexplainable supernatural ways, and he does at times. But for the most part, God has chosen to work in our world to carry out his mission through his people, to use us to be part of that. And that's the nature of the story of the book of Acts, is God carrying out his mission through his people. And so... Our foundation for missional living, or for being a people with mission, is simply this idea that Jesus is on a mission in the world, and we are in him. And if he's on a mission, and we're in him, then we're on a mission as well. It's what it means to be Christian. It's what it means to be followers of Christ, and ultimately what it means to be the church. That we are people joining Jesus on his mission in the world. And so last week, we kind of talked about the framework that Ken and I have been working on to think about how does Antioch engaged in Jesus' mission in the world? And we took this Acts 1-8 uh, passage where Jesus says you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and then Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, kind of concentric circles outward, and saying what if we organize the way Antioch engages our world around similar circles? So at home, in our backyard, and around the world. And so uh, you got, I think... Uh, a sheet like this when you came in this morning and each week of this series will be showing you uh, and telling the story of somebody within our church body that's joining Jesus on his mission that's living out this good news and some of it will be at home some will be in our backyard kind of national and social issues and some will be around the world so this morning Dave and Liz Morton share their story about how they're engaged in Nicaragua and uh, And by the way, we have a Nicaragua trip coming up, August 13th through 20th. If you want to find out more, there's an info meeting um, in that little room by the kids. What's that room called? Anybody know? The electrical closet out there. Uh, (laughs) Just go to the kids' check-in area. And uh, Rick and his team, I'd I'd love to see a bunch of people engaged in that trip as well. And so this is the foundation of mission Not that we're supposed to, but we're in Christ and he's on a mission. And so we go with him. And if you kind of cut me open, this is the stuff that I bleed. This is the stuff that I'm passionate about and have been for a long time. As a church planter and as a pastor, most of my academic studies have all been focused around this very topic of what does it mean that the church itself is called and sent by Jesus to be his missionary presence in the world, if you will. So it's this total reversal of how many of us think about church, that it's a place that we go once a week for songs and all that kind of stuff, as opposed to the church is who we are, and we're sent by Christ to be his body, and to be his people, to be his presence in the world, and to to live out this good news as a way of life so that the people in our city, our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers, our family members, as they get to know us, they're getting to know Christ. And as we submit ourselves to the work of Jesus, like, we're joining his mission and the, the city's changing, the world is changing. That's so deep in, to, into the way I think about who we are and what we're doing that it's almost hard for me to, to break it down at, at times because it's just so deep in, in, in me. But what I want to make sure that we get this morning is just the simple idea. I think Christopher Wright said it, uh, the missiologist, and it's that God doesn't have a mission for his church. Some of us come at this conversation like that as the church or as Christ followers. I gotta figure out what God's mission is um, for us. Christopher Wright says, God doesn't have a mission for his church. He has a church for his mission. This is why we exist. This is why Christ calls this community together to join him in what he's doing in the world. And we're in him. We're part of this thing, kind of whether we like it or not. And so the hope is over these next couple months as we engage the book of Acts, looking at snapshots and stories of how these early Christians lived out the mission of Jesus in their lives, that some of us will start to get a glimpse of what that looks like too. Now, I want to be honest. I know that sometimes in conversations like this, you kind of start feeling this sense of guilt or this sense of weight. Let me show you an amazing work of art that I put together this week, and it starts with this, okay? So this is a Christian, and he is celebrating the fact that he is saved by grace through faith. He understands that his salvation, his standing with God isn't based upon his good works, or his good behavior, or his religiosity, or anything like that. He knows that he has received Christ And by grace, he is saved, and he's been told that you don't have to do anything to earn your salvation. You just receive and say yes to Jesus and trust your life to him. And so he's stoked, right? And then he starts hearing things like, but make sure you read your Bible every day. And it feels like this rock kind of drops on his shoulders. And then he hears things like, and make sure that you pray every day and another rock drops and make sure that you go to church every Sunday and make sure that you're in a community group because you have to be in a community group and then you have to start thinking you have to start thinking about your neighbors and you have to be a witness in your neighborhood and then you don't forget about the poor we have to care for the poor and then beyond the poor i mean we have to care about Issues like racial reconciliation and immigration and and on top of it all, then you come this morning and your pastor goes and now you have to join Jesus' mission in the world. And this rock just kind of sits on top, right? Uh, I know that this conversation can quickly feel that way. That there's just another thing and another thing and another thing that I'm being told that I need to care about. Another social issue or another cause that I need to be educated and informed and engaged in. And as Christians, we're like, what happened to that guy that was saved by grace? And just, you know, living with Jesus. Now, all of a sudden, my faith feels like this huge burden that I'm carrying around. And eventually, here's what happens. Right? So... um, (laughs) Or at least it feels like it's going to, and that's not what we want, right? So I want to make sure that as we start this conversation that we're acknowledging that. Um, For me, growing up in the conservative Baptist church, there was this guilt-driven spirituality, and I'm not pegging that on anybody else, but I'm just saying that was my experience, that I felt like I had to read my Bible and pray and love my neighbor and serve the poor and do all this stuff because that was the only way to actually feel good about my Christianity, to feel like my faith had some integrity if I was doing all these things. And what happened was my motivation for doing something like reading the Bible wasn't actually to learn the story of God or to encounter the Spirit in Scripture or to study the truth of the, of, of the Word. It's, my motivation was, I want to read the Bible so I don't have to feel guilty about not reading the Bible anymore. Which is, goes against, totally against the grain of the gospel, doesn't it? Which is, the guilt isn't something we can absolve by good works. The guilt is something Christ takes care of for us. And so, A lot of us grew up with devotional guilt, right? And I just want to pause for a moment and make sure you know this: Jesus has forgiven you for all of your missed devotions. (laughs) He really has. Past, present, and future, you are forgiven. We laugh. The first time somebody told me that, it melted me. You're forgiven. For all your missed prayer times, devotions, all that stuff, right? What happens, though, is for many of us that have been kind of part of this recent movement in the Northwest church and church planting, we've simply taken devotional guilt and we've replaced it with mission guilt. And so now the way to feel good about my spirituality isn't kind of through the old school Sunday school ways, but it's through... Things like serving the poor and loving my neighbors and fighting against injustice and oppression and all that stuff just kind of loads up on top. Now, obviously, what I'm not saying is that scripture and prayer and justice and mercy are bad things, right? The problem is when they get loaded on top of us, eventually we die and blood falls out of our hood. So, as Ken and I, for a couple months now, have been kind of dreaming together about what this next season uh, would look like. not talking like major shifts in mission or vision or anything like that, but just how can we continue to track with what the Spirit is doing in the life of this church and in the life of this city and around the world. Um, Our hope is that it would look more like this, and it would start with a new heart. We'll just pause there for a moment. This is one of the essential ingredients of the gospel, if you will. That upon our conversion, that moment through faith and repentance, when we receive Jesus as Lord, we are given a new heart. Theological term is regeneration. We're made new. We're given a new set of desires. We're given a new identity. We're given a new name. We are adopted as the children of God. And so we have this new heart that Christ placed within us. And then what happens over the course of a believer's lifetime is that heart begins to expand. And Jesus begins to call us, call our attention to people or to places that we never noticed before. And over time, it expands some more and we maybe go on a mission trip to Nicaragua and we see these people and all of a sudden, something that was so distanced and removed from us before now becomes something we deeply and genuinely care about. And want to give our lives towards. And then over the course of time, maybe as life seasons change, right? Like when you're in that three or four little kids kind of craziness tunnel that many of us are in. Like it, we kind of have this much stuff that we can handle. This much stuff that we care about. But then as, as life changes, as we go through seasons, we find that Jesus is continuing to enlarge our heart. And he's giving us his vision and even calling us to join him on his mission in the world. And it grows and it grows. And so for like the Heinz, this idea of adoption, at some point Jesus enlarged their heart to care about the, the orphaned. And it's a beautiful thing that we celebrate. Okay? And all I would want to say is that we shouldn't be surprised if we find Christ enlarging our hearts that this should be part of what the Christian life looks like and feels like, that we start with this fresh heart that he's given us and then over the course of our lifetimes we find ourselves loving people and caring about the issues and the needs and the injustices in the world. And we also find ourselves loving him and wanting to know the scripture and spend time with God in prayer like this thing grows and grows. And it shouldn't feel like another boulder I need to carry but simply the outworking of this new spirit that's been planted within me. So I can, if I'm totally honest, I can show you these two pictures of a guy carrying rocks and then a really big heart and say, let's just do the heart one, right? But simply by me saying that doesn't actually resolve everything that we're feeling. Um, And I don't think I get to do that. I don't have an easy answer for how do you walk in this tension? between what just feels like something guilt and duty, dutiful and something that Jesus is actually calling you to. And that's why throughout the course of this series, we're not going to say, hey, here's a program or something that you can sign up for and live on mission. The point is to learn how to pay attention to Jesus, to learn how to listen to God, and in faith and obedience to find ourselves being his hands and his feet and his mouth to the world. And that's the dream. That's the hope. And as Ken and I wrestle and pray and, and study through this, that's, that's really what we are longing to see God do, is just simply a church full of people that are attentive to the ways that God is calling us and inviting us to join Jesus on his mission. So does that make sense? Okay, so that's, that's kind of the, uh, the idea. Um, The question I'll ask for this morning is, I keep using this language of the mission of God or Jesus' mission in the world um, as if we all have like a really unified idea of what that means or what we're talking about. And so the question of, if I'm on mission with Christ, what is his mission in the world? And specifically for these early Christians in Acts, what did they understand to be Jesus' mission in the world? Well, I would argue that it's right here in verse 3. Jesus has 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension. He has these last 40 days with his disciples to impart as much of himself and his mind and his heart and his perspective to these people. And what are we told that he talked about? For 40 days, he talked to them about one thing, the kingdom of God. This is everything that Jesus wanted to impart to his people. If they get the kingdom of God, then they're ready to live out his mission. And so, the kingdom of God, obviously don't have time to to dive in deep, but it's essentially the idea that we pray in the Lord's Prayer, that Ben led us in this morning, or if you've been using the prayer book we made last month, that we pray with Jesus every day, your kingdom come, your will be done, and then the understanding or the definition is on earth as it is in heaven. So the kingdom of God is when things go God's way, the the way he wants them to, the way he desires them to, the way he designed them to. The kingdom of God is God's vision or dream for the world that he's created and the humanity that inhabits it. The kingdom of God is both something that's still coming and it's something that is already here. We talk about the kingdom being already but not yet. Yet fancy term is inaugurated eschatology if you want to wow your book club or something talk about that that Jesus has inaugurated God's kingdom but it's not yet consummated right that's the idea and so for me the easiest way that i've found to explain the the concept of kingdom of god to followers of Christ, is starting at the very end of the Bible. In Revelation 21 and 22, you don't have to turn there, but there's this vision, this prophetic vision that's given that describes what it looks like when, when heaven comes to earth, when Jesus' prayer in the Lord's prayer is answered in its fulfillment, that the kingdom of heaven comes to earth. And so what happens is that the world we now know is totally transformed, totally remade, even so much that it's called a new heavens and a new earth. And the description that we're given in 21 and 22 of Revelation is that there will be no more tears, no more mourning, no more sickness, no more crying, no more pain, no more death which is essentially just a bunch of juncture or terms to say all the stuff that's broken and terrible and decayed and upside down in this world. All of that's going to be done away with. No more cancer, no more poverty, no more terrorism, no more abuse, no more mental illness, no more addiction, no more genocide, no more racism. When heaven comes to earth, when God's kingdom comes, when it, His will is done, the hope the Bible gives us, that's the world that we long for. A world where everything bad is done away with, if you will. And instead of all that stuff, it's a world that's marked by love and joy and harmonious relationships where all the sin-severed relationships are put back together, where we know who we are and we're connected to God in the most life-giving and unmistakable way and connected to each other. and It's like a world where everybody has everything they need and a world of beauty and joy and meaning and purpose and the world we all want. Again, described when Jesus brings heaven to earth. Now, it hasn't happened yet. One day it will. And that's exactly where this passage ends in, in verse 11. It's saying one day, just as Christ ascended to the Father, to the heavenly realm, one day he's going to return. And at that point, it will be to establish his kingdom once and for all. Okay? That's the vision of the kingdom of God. And for many of us, it sounds like a fairy tale. It sounds crazy that we would be a room here in 2016, modern, educated Americans that believe that human history at one point is going to be all put back together. We sound nuts, right? Because nobody else is saying that, that the world is ultimately headed for redemption. Like Al Gore certainly wasn't saying that 10 years ago when (laughs) this whole thing was supposed to be erased, right? Right? The vision of the Bible is that we would be people who seek that kingdom. Remember when Jesus said that? Seek first the kingdom of God. We anticipate, we look forward to it, and we see ourselves as citizens of that future kingdom living here and now in this broken world. And the reason we can have hope that there's we can even live in that space, is because that's what the life of Jesus was all about. He comes from heaven to earth. And when you watch Jesus as he goes through his life, it's like little glimpses of Revelation in 21 and 22. Like where there's sickness, he heals. Where there's mourning, he brings comfort. Where there's death, he brings resurrection. Have you ever noticed Jesus sucks at going to funerals? Every funeral he goes to, he just raises the person from the dead, right? What's happening? The kingdom of God is touching down on earth. We're getting a glimpse in human history of what happens when God's kingdom shows up in our world. And that's why Jesus goes around, instead of introducing himself, Hi, my name is Jesus, he says, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He himself, as the king, is the human physical embodiment of God's kingdom in that season. And so now he says to us, and for those 40 days, to those disciples, I want to teach you everything I can about God's kingdom, about God's heart, about God's dream for humanity, about God's plan to reconcile all things back to himself, about God's restoration mission that is underway. For 40 days, that's all he talks about. And then he gives them his spirit to empower them and says, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. My mission has now become your mission. Let me read to you um, a paragraph from Frank Viola who sums all these ideas up in a, in a way clearer than I can. It says, throughout his ministry, Jesus showed what the kingdom of God was all about. By loving outcasts, befriending the oppressed, healing the sick, cleansing lepers, caring for the poor, driving out demons, forgiving sins, and so forth. If you peel back his miracles, the common denominator underneath them all is that he was alleviating human suffering and showing what the future kingdom of God looks like. When Jesus did his miracles, he was indicating that he was reversing the effects of the curse. In Jesus' ministry, a bit of the future had penetrated the present. Jesus embodied the future kingdom of God where human suffering will be eradicated and there will be, no, there will be peace, justice, freedom, and joy. And then he talks about if that's true about Jesus, then what would that mean for us? The church, which is his body in the world, carries on this ministry. It stands on the earth as a sign of the coming kingdom, The church lives and acts in the reality that Jesus Christ is the Lord of the world today. It lives in the presence of the future, in the already but not yet of the kingdom of God. For this reason, the church is commissioned to proclaim and embody the kingdom now, to bring a bit of the new creation into the old creation, to bring a piece of heaven into the earth, demonstrating to the world what it will look like when God is calling the shots. In the life of the church, God's future has already begun. Yeah. That's the stuff that fires me up, right? To think that that's what we are part of. And that even that's the beginning with, we're the result of this mission, right? We talked about last week that the ends of the earth, if you were in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, would be bend Organ that the gospel has reached us, and that's miraculous and incredible, and now we get to join together with what God has been doing through Christ all these years, that we are now part of it. And it's not just another department of church life, but it is essentially what the church is. We are the people of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, joining Jesus on his mission. And it's an incredible invitation that we have. And so the vision isn't that Antioch's going to run a whole bunch of mission programs. It's simply that if we are the church, then God is going to, over the course of our lives, expand our hearts. Give us this kingdom vision. Bring across our path people in need of love, people in need of care, people in need of reconciliation, or justice, or hope. And as the people of God, this is why we're here. To be his body. To be his presence on earth as it is in heaven. And the last idea we'll wrestle with is this one. Again in verse 8, where Jesus says that we'll receive power. His disciples would receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And you will be my witnesses. Okay, And so the way that we participate in Christ's mission in the world is by being witnesses of his kingdom. Okay. I'm publicly just kind of deconstructing everything I grew up with. I hope that's all right with you. Um, And I had a great family, great church growing up, but there's a certain point you realize I picked everything up a little bit off. One of those was the idea of witness. Okay? And uh, maybe you don't come from this same kind of background. That's great. Like, if you don't know what flannel graph is, then... God bless you. But um, in my church upbringing, we talked about witness as something we do. Like, I want to go witness to my neighbor, or I haven't had a chance to witness to my coworker yet, or I pray that God would give me an opportunity to witness to my friend or a family member. And so we talked about witness as something we do. But that's not how Jesus uses the term, is it? He says witness is something that we will be. It's something that we are. Noun, not verb. You will be my witnesses. So it's not like I just haven't had a chance to witness yet. And I had, can I tell you my worst witnessing story? <laughs> when I was a pastor in Corvallis, I went, um, I went to the Taco Bell. I feel like that's a confession of sin. Um, Laughter and there was a local youth group that was there having their Bible study in the Taco Bell, and the youth pastor was a guy who I kind of knew, and what they were doing, he explains to me, is we want to get used to talking about Jesus in public, so we're having our youth group Bible study here in Taco Bell where everyone can hear us. Actually, so far, I think I'm good with that. Like, I think we should be used to talking about Jesus in public. And I walk in... And this youth pastor goes, Pastor Pete's here. This is perfect, you guys. I don't know anybody who has more of a bold heart for Christ than Pastor Pete. This guy has no shame of the gospel. In fact, I bet if we asked him to, right here in the middle of Taco Bell, he would sing a worship song (laughs) to show us that he's not ashamed of Jesus. And I kind of chuckle. And he's like, would you do that? You would do that. You're not ashamed, are you, Pete? I'm like, ah, um. <laughs> he, and he doesn't let up. And I've got these 20 high schoolers standing there going, all right, this is, this is what it looks like to be a, to, to witness. And the youth pastor goes, all right, how about, I don't know, shout to the Lord. I'm like, just stunned and speechless, and then I go, "My Jesus, my Savior," and I sing the whole freaking song by myself in the middle of Taco Bell. And there's like guys I went to high school with working behind the counter. What the heck happened to Pete? Like, and I walk away, and the youth pastor's like, "Now that's how you witness." Right? As if there's any good news in that for anybody. I hope you haven't had that experience, but maybe you've had others (laughs) where you felt this like weird Christian cultural pressure to do witnessing, right? Now, what I'm not saying is that there isn't a place and an opportunity and actually a joy in getting to share the good news of Jesus, And when I say share, I mean actually tell the story. Tell the story of who God is and what he's done for us and how he's changed our life and what he's doing in the world. Like the gospel is news that needs to be told, right? We always talk about St. Francis saying, preach the gospel, always use words when necessary. He never said that, and they're always necessary. Like it's news, it's a gospel, it's a story that needs to be told. Um, I, I like the idea, but There is a time to share the gospel, but that's not witness. Witness is who we are. And here's where I'll, I'll mess with you a little bit. You already are a witness of Christ. If you claim to be Christian, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, then your life is your witness to who he is. Your neighbors, your coworkers it's not that you haven't started witnessing yet because you haven't said the name of Jesus. The moment you meet them, your witness begins. They're observing your life. They're taking what you do and what you say and how you act and how you relate and saying, okay, that's what it looks like to follow Jesus. That's what it is to be Christian. Okay? So we are witnesses, first of all, meaning we've seen something. That's what a witness does. I see something. I've seen Christ and I've seen his kingdom. And now how we live our lives as those who claim Jesus as Lord and Savior, that is our witness. And of course, we have words to go with it. And so now you're going, ah, that was great, Pete. Just dropped another boulder on on my stack. (laughs) what are we witnesses to the best news that the world could ever hear the ultimate fulfillment of humanity's greatest needs that God himself has come to us he hasn't abandoned us he's not far from us but he's here And he's given himself to us in Jesus who gives us his spirit and now invites us to join him in what he's doing in the world. That is the deepest desire of my heart. I want to be part of what Jesus is doing in the world. And when I live there, it doesn't feel like a rock that I have to carry. It feels like the most life-giving, exciting, meaningful adventure that I could ever be invited on. And it gets to get fleshed out in a million different ways across this congregation, across this city, in our backyard and around the world. And for some of you, it'll look like I'm actually going to get up and go, like God's calling me to somewhere else or to some people or some place. And for others of us, it's just going to be living as witnesses of the kingdom in the most like ordinary, everyday parts of life. like the mom with the little kids who's going to go to a park and would just go, what if I went to a park on the other side of town? What if I spent some time in a neighborhood where the kids there don't look like my kids? What if I packed an extra granola bar and had my kids look around the park and see if there's somebody else that looks like they could use a snack? You see the kind of thing I'm talking about? Like just subtle little ways of like the dude that's working. He's got his truck. He's got his job. But all of a sudden when he sees himself in Christ and on mission with Christ, then the very work that he's doing with his hands is actually part of demonstrating what life in the kingdom looks like. He's doing things that are contributing to human flourishing and it may not feel like it. It may just be working with software or machines or logs or something. But he's going, God is on this mission in the world and he cares about this place, cares about these people. And he's going to see what he's doing as part of Jesus' mission in the world. And for others, it would actually cause us to get up and to go and to pour ourselves into people and places as Jesus expands our heart, okay? So my prayer and my dream is, what if we pooled together our talents, our passions, our experiences, our resources? What if we as a community banded together for the sake of being a display to the world of what the kingdom of God is all about? What if we took everything we have and we're able to reorient it around the good news that God's not far. And the thing that's exciting again is that it gets to look a hundred thousand different ways in each of our lives. So the prayer Lord Jesus is here we are. We want to be part of what you're doing in the world. We want to pay attention to the people and the places around us right there in everyday life to see our job and our family and our neighbors and our friends as an opportunity for the seeds of your kingdom to be planted and watered and flourish. Lord, we don't want to go around with a guilt or heavy burden We simply want to live as those who have received grace and are therefore a gracious people. So Lord Jesus, expand our hearts. In your time, in your way, in each of our stories, would you help us to be responsive and attentive to what you're saying? Who and where you're calling us to invest ourselves for the sake of your kingdom. And I pray that we as a church would truly be an outpost of your kingdom in this city. Like the place where the lordship of your name is unopposed. And we find ourselves surrendered and serving and going out as those who are sent by your spirit. So we love you, we trust you, We pray that over the course of this journey, Father, would you form the image of your Son in us more fully. In Jesus' name.